0: but we'll work our way through the text. We are kicking off a new series in Philippians, uh, this little letter. And, but before we uh, get into it, I do want to know something. I want to ask you a question. Has any of you ever started a project of some sort uh, and not finished it? Uh, so it's not only me. Great. Because I have done it plenty of times. Uh, here's a photo of one on our block at Middleton. Uh, what is it, you ask? Um, Well, it's not a wind-powered electric generator, although uh, it does have something to do with wind power. Maybe it could have been a generator, Uh, but this, my friends, is a wind-powered rock tumbler. At least it was going to be. That was my plan. A few years ago, my son Jacob had a brief interest in rocks and stones, uh, something I'm interested in too, so I thought it would be a great idea if we made a tumbler so we could collect interesting stones and tumble them and make them shiny like the ones in the next photo. Like these, you know, nice little collection of nice polished stones. Now, you can buy an electric rock tumbler at a hobby shop, but why buy one when you can make one, right? And who wants an electric tumbler anyway? Uh, This is the era of alternative energy, of wind power. And if there's one thing that uh, Middleton has, it's wind, right? Uh, So we made the wind-powered drive bit from some PVC stormwater pipe, uh, some galve pipe and a couple of bearings, but we we never did modify the fishing reel that was going to gear the thing down to a 5 to 1 ratio or connect the rotating drum that you put the stones in. The motivation faded and it fizzed out. Jacob's interest in stones faded and other things in our lives took priority in my life, other projects became more important. And so there it remains, the next photo, to this day, like a towering reminder of my unfinished project every time I walk past it. Um, It's one of many for me, uh, and uh, I'm sure many of others. Marty's an expert on this, just ask Marty. Um, So you can relate to that. And so have you ever... Well, obviously some of you have. Enthusiastically, you've planned to, set it to do something, make something, uh, renovate something, maybe start to collect something, uh, and you've set out to make it happen uh, with great determination, only to find your motivation fading and eventually disappearing altogether. You might think to yourself, that's okay, one day I'll get back to it, but you never really do. Well, maybe you're a bit like that yourself, but maybe you're not. Maybe you live with someone like that, uh, surrounded by a graveyard of unfinished projects, incomplete collections, and abandoned hobbies. And I think there's, there's many reasons why our projects go unfinished, and we, we might say to ourselves that we just simply don't have the time or the money to finish them. Um, but from my own personal experience, it seems that more often than not, the real reason uh, that I haven't finished, we haven't finished, is that we simply redirect the time we do have and the money we do have into something else, something more exciting and more interesting, a new project maybe, uh, or a new hobby, a fascinating thing to collect, maybe a new book to read. It could even be a long-term project, uh, something, a lifetime goal even. And it captures our interest, our heart, you could say, and with that goes our desires and our motivations. And so we gladly pour our time and money into it without even really thinking about it. Because for us, it's uh, a high priority. It's a high priority that we finish it. So today, we do um, begin this new series in this little um, uh, book, to the Letter to the Philippians. And over several weeks, the coming weeks, we're going to be working our way through it. Uh, and you're going to be hearing from a number of uh, different men in our church preaching. But as I've been pondering these opening verses uh, and the book as a whole, My thoughts have been taken up more and more by what I'm going to call today the greatest project of all, God's great project. It's one that encompasses everything that is, uh, has eternal ramifications for every person and profound implications for Christians, for those of us who are trusting in Jesus. And although this letter was written to one particular group of believers 2,000 years ago, It's just as much God's word to us today and its contents, I think, inform our minds uh, to help us think more Christianly and it helps us gain a true perspective of reality, of what God is doing in the world uh, and in us as believers, of what really matters in this world. And as Paul pours out his heart to these Philippian believers we may find that our own hearts uh, are stirred and perhaps even our priorities reordered. Uh, I've been personally challenged, uh, convicted by this passage and greatly encouraged at the same time. And I pray that that'll be true for for all of you, all of us here and for us as a church uh, as we look at these opening few verses today. Uh, But before that, I want to pray for us. Father God, uh, thank you for your word. Um, we just pray that as we look at um, uh, this little letter of Paul to these particular people, um, uh, we know it is your God's word to us. We pray that you would speak to our hearts uh, and renew our minds for your glory. Amen. Well, first of all, before we look at the past passage, it's going to be helpful, I think, uh, firstly for me to explain what I mean by God's great project, uh, but also something of the background uh, to this letter By God's great project, I mean the outworking uh, of his great plan, his plan to redeem and renew uh, this fallen world through his son, Jesus Christ, and to bring all things under his eternal rule. Uh, It's the big story of the Bible, really, um, beginning with promises that God made uh, to Abraham way back in Genesis, Uh, Promises that unfold gradually through the Old Testament, through the history of the nation Israel, uh, which itself uh, foreshadows and points forward to an ultimate fulfillment which comes in the New Testament, in the person, of course, of Jesus Christ. Uh, It's through his death and and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father as King of God's eternal kingdom, uh, he profoundly fulfills Uh, everything promised and anticipated in the Old Testament. And through the cross of Jesus, um, God has done for us what we could never do, ever do for ourselves so that our sins might be forgiven and we might be brought into his eternal family. And of course, all who hear this very news and believe it and who repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone are saved and brought into his kingdom. That's what I mean by God's great project, the salvation of a, of a vast number of people from every nation on earth for his glory. It's promised and patterned in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New, which itself looks forward, it looks forward to a yet future day, the day of the Lord, the day of Christ. We've been singing about it in some of the songs. Uh, the day when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, to bring an end to finally to all sin and death and evil and to restore all things under his rule for eternity in a new heavens and a new earth Um, and in this present age that we live and that the Philippians live too between Jesus first coming and his return God continues his project work through the preaching of this message the gospel the good news about Jesus so where does Paul fit into all this uh, and Timothy and these Philippians? We need to know uh, the background of this letter before, if we're going to understand it correctly. So here's a quick summary. Uh, Paul, as you may know, was, was a violent persecutor of Christians, but he was dramatically converted just a year or two after Jesus' death and resurrection when Jesus himself appeared to him while he was travelling on the Damascus Road in a blaze of blinding light. Uh, He was not only saved he was also sent by Jesus as an apostle to take the gospel message to the non-Jewish nations the Gentiles Uh, and he did set about doing that. Uh, The book of Acts records uh, a number of his missionary trips into the known world Uh, and it was during his second missionary journey around 50 AD uh, that he met a young believer named Timothy at a town called uh, Lystra. You can see it kind of in the middle, uh, in the green patch there. That red line, it represents the journey, starting in Antioch and running up. You can maybe it's might, you may be hard to pick out, but it's up there in the middle. He met Timothy there, this young believer, and Timothy joined him on his trip, and sometime later they came to Macedonia, up in the top left there, uh, arriving first by boat at a little port city called Neapolis, which you may be able to see, and then they travelled by foot inland to one of its major cities, Philippi and if you've read Acts 16 uh, you might remember it talks about this you might remember how Paul preached the gospel there to some women including a lady named Lydia a seller of expensive purple cloth and she was saved and her whole family and then you might remember how Paul ended up in jail but through some miraculous events the Philippian jailer and his entire family also trusted in Jesus. That's the beginning of this church at Philippi. So Paul was its founding pastor. He planted the church with the help of Timothy and others. And that's, that's important for us to know uh, as we look at it. But now fast forward 12 years to 62 AD. The Gospels have been spreading rapidly through the Roman Empire, but now the infamous Nero is emperor. So there's increasing persecution against Christians, including at Philippi. And Paul has been imprisoned in Rome for preaching the gospel under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. Uh, But He's allowed to have visitors, at least for now, uh, and he's already been in prison for two years, and during which time he's written some other letters. You may be familiar with them to the Ephesians and to the Colossians, and to his friend Philemon. But lately, uh, things are getting worse, much more serious for Paul. He's now facing trial, having to defend himself and the gospel he preaches in court. Uh, And the outcome could go either way. Execution is a strong possibility, given the way things are going. But hopefully, he hopes he'll be released and be free to encourage the churches and, of course, keep preaching the gospel to those who haven't yet heard just a few weeks ago, a surprise visitor arrived named Epaphroditus, all the way from Philippi, 1,200 kilometres away. That's like from here to Canberra. And the trip took him several months, at least a couple of months on foot, and he became very sick on the way and nearly died. But he'd finally made it, and he brought with him a gift of money for Paul from the believers at Philippi, a very generous gift it appears, and not their first one either. They'd been supporting him financially for the last 12 years, um, but not recently. But when they heard that he was in prison, now facing a trial, they'd made a collection, taken up a collection and sent it with, uh, with Epaphroditus, um, a man they could trust to get it there. And he did, although he nearly, it nearly cost him his life. He's rest, been resting up and has now recovered Uh, from his illness and Paul is keen for him to go back to Philippi. Uh, So he's written a letter for Epaphroditus to take with him back to his dear friends, the church at Philippi that he founded. That's the letter we have before us here today and we need to keep all those things in mind as we work our way through the book in the coming weeks and as we look at these verses, these opening verses now. The section we're looking at now briefly is the, basically the introduction to the letter, uh, comprised typically of Paul with an opening address, thanksgiving and prayers. And I just want to highlight a few things in particular that I think are helpful for us as we go through it. And you can follow along in the sermon outline there if you want to take some notes. Firstly, in um, verses 1 to 5, we can see that Paul and Timothy... And the believers in Philippi have all been drawn into God's great project. Not just as recipients of salvation, but as partners in God's gospel work. Paul calls himself and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus in verse 1, which is a really lowly title uh, in any age or uh, culture, but nowhere more so than in the Roman Empire. Roman society was, was strongly layered, and servants and slaves were at the very lowest tier, on the bottom rung. Uh, but Paul, once a, a proud Jewish Pharisee, uh, gladly claims the title for himself, and so it appears does Timothy. Uh, they're not servants of Rome, of course, but they're servants of Christ Jesus, the King and Lord of all. Um, and as servants, of course, they've, it means they've submitted their own will to the will of their Lord, have gladly given their lives over to doing his work, the work of his eternal kingdom. So they're project partners in God's work, in gospel ministry. Uh, And they, of course, they're the senders of the letter. The sender puts their name first, followed by the recipients. Uh, So Paul really is the the sender, although he includes Timothy uh, as a co-sender. And then we see that the recipients are all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. In other words, the whole church, um, everyone, including the leadership. uh, And notice that he's writing to believers. He's writing to God's holy people. Of course, not because of anything in them, uh, but because they're in Christ Jesus, united to him and and sharing his holiness. Uh, It's interesting to note they have two locations. They're in Christ Jesus but they're also at Philippi and that's significant because to be a citizen of Philippi was something to be very proud of Um, but the city of Philippi had a unique status within the empire as a a colony of Rome it was like a little Rome with massive benefits uh, in areas of law and taxation and land ownership so to be a citizen of Philippi was a very coveted thing. Um, but though these Christians were citizens of Philippi, the greater reality was their heavenly home in Christ. They're citizens of heaven, as Paul will uh, say later in the, in the book, which is an overarching theme of this, of this book, uh, and we've taken it for the title for our series. But what I particularly want to draw attention to is Paul's thanksgiving from verse 3, uh, Paul joyfully, joyfully thanks God in prayer every time he remembers these Philippians. Why? Because it says he says of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Was he mean by that? Was he mean by partnership in the gospel? Are they all out there preaching and teaching the gospel like he is? Or well, some, no doubt, some are. But that's not what he's referring to. Um, the end of the letter makes clear what he 's referring to are the gifts of money that they 've sent him uh, they 've been supporting him financially ever since he was first with them, and now they 've sent more that 's what he means from the first day until now. but he sees this part, sees this gift these gifts as partnership in the gospel, joint partnership with him and Timothy in gospel ministry he sees them as project partners um, working with him in God's great work this great work of God but why is Paul so joyful and thankful to God by this because he sees beyond the gifts themselves the gifts are tangible evidence that God is at work in them which he immediately goes on to say confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul sees that that their generosity to him is the result of God's work in them, God's good work, which is why he thanks God for their partnership in the gospel. Notice he doesn't thank them directly at all. He's not being ungrateful, he's just... He recognises the true source of their love and gospel partnership. It's God's work in them, a work which began when they first uh, received the gospel that he preached and it continues in the present. And Paul knows that God will finish his work, his project in them, his gospel work. Why is Paul so confident? Why is he so confident of this? Because Paul, of course, knows his Bible well. He knows that God's gospel project is the outworking of the promises made back in the Old Testament and fulfilled in Jesus, and that these are now being worked out in and through the believers at Philippi. You see, God's work is a work that he's already done for them and for us, mind you, in the cross of Christ, in his death and resurrection, but a work that he continues to do in them and in us, through his word and by his spirit. And God will complete his work perfectly on the day of Christ, the day Jesus returns, our Lord and our Saviour who died for us. Friends, we're here today. um, Those of us who have come to trust uh, in what God has done for us in the cross of Jesus can take great confidence, great confidence from this passage. God is at work in us. It's what we call sanctification, Uh, God's work in us uh, by his word uh, and his spirit, making us more and more like Jesus. And he will, he will complete what he's done. He will finish his work, unlike many of my projects and obviously many of yours too. And you know, even when we um, feel like failures as Christians, when we've given in to temptation and sinned again or when we feel spiritually flat and dry you know we can rest in this truth we can rest in it we can be sure that God will complete his good work in us because his work isn't based on anything in us it's based in his own promises it's based in what he's already done in the cross of Jesus for us God always keeps his promises, always. Well, Paul now goes on to uh, affirm his great love and affection for his dear friends in verses 7 and 8. And it's a very personal, emotional and unusually intimate uh, little passage. He has a a very strong bond with them, even while he's in chains, they're in Philippi. Um, But whether he's in chains or defending the gospel in court, he says that he has them in his heart. And that he longs for them with great affection, you can see there. The affection of Christ even. Paul has such a sense of this union in Christ. It's astounding. It's astounding reality. But then he goes on to tell them what he prays for them uh, from verse 9. It's a passionate, it's a confident prayer, again, based on God's promises. He prays that their love, which is already seen in their gifts to him may increase Uh, he says may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight that is knowledge and insight about God's loving work for them and in them the very thing that he's been referring to and about the coming day of Christ Um, he wants them grounded in that love and love a love based on the knowledge of God's love and God's work for them Uh, And he wants them to be able to discern what is best, which simply means to wisely apply that knowledge uh, to specific acts and opportunities of love, just like the one they've shown Paul. And he prays this because he wants them to be pure and blameless on the day of Christ's return, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Of course, righteousness is is a gift of God, that comes through Jesus. We, we learned about that in our Romans series, if you were around for that. And Paul's going to mention it later in this, uh, in this book too, in chapter three. And Christian love is the fruit that comes from being declared righteous. It's, you could say it's the righteous outworking of God's gift of righteousness. You can't have one without the other. Um, you simply can't. What God has done for us He begins to work out in us as individuals, as individuals together in a local church context, never as isolated individuals, as a body. Remember, Christ is the head of the body, we just said in Colossians. So we're sanctified in community, and God will finish, he will finish his great project on a worldwide scale, but also in each and every one of you, in each of one of his children. So, Paul wants this above all else for these Philippian believers. He knows what's most important for them. He knows what matters most of all. And that's what he prays for. That's what he prays for. You know, it's interesting to note um, what he doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray for their good health, material prosperity. He doesn't pray for a new church building for them. Nothing like that at all. What matters most to Paul is that these Christians in Philippi are ready for the day of Christ, ready to stand before their Lord and Saviour when he returns. And for them to be ready, God's work in them, which is already evident, must continue and work itself out through them in acts of sacrificial love, gospel partnership. And the way that God works in works through them and is and works in us is through his word and by his spirit the same gospel the same gospel that saves us is the gospel that transforms us we never move past the gospel we never move past it we live in it as one of our kids songs remind us of remember that song the gospel is the garden not the gate the gospel is the wedding not today we need to run in it rest in it take every breath in it jesus our righteousness live in the gospel. That's what we do. And God will finish the work he's begun. It's his work. And so accordingly, Paul finishes the section to the glory and praise of God. Of course he does. Of course he does. How could it be any other way? It's God's work. It's his great and glorious work of his project. So what does all this mean for us, uh, for us here at Trinity South Coast? Well, I think... First of all, we should be greatly encouraged. God has begun a work in us as a church. Uh, There's abundant evidence, uh, fruit of the gospel. There's love for each other, partnership in the gospel. Uh, And let me share one example, one remarkably similar example to the one we just learned about, actually. A couple of months ago, about a third of you... um, about 25 odd people packed our living room to hear Victor Massey. Uh, Victor's a Pakistani evangelist uh, and a church planting pastor. And he spoke about ministry that um, he's involved in among mainly Hindu people and also some Muslims in Pakistan. Many, many, many people coming to Christ. And in the weeks that followed, a number of you uh, were moved from the heart to give financially. Over $1,000 came in, which goes a huge way in gospel work in Pakistan, I might say. Uh, Let me just read some of the parts of the email that he sent. I can't do an accent. I'd like to do a Pakistani accent, but I won't. Dear Brother Steve and Jane and the Brethren at Trinity South Coast, thank you so much for sending financial support. By the grace of God, we will use the funds for evangelism or church building, Again many thanks for your love, support and prayers. Would you please pass on our love and gratitude to the brethren at Trinity South Coast? May the Lord bless you abundantly. With love and thanks, Victor Massey and all at Pakistan Discipleship Ministry. That's gospel partnership. That's evidence of God's work in us, so be encouraged. And never underestimate the value of financial support for gospel ministry ministry no matter how small the amount uh, both here and around the world it is after all the only thing we can spend our money on that will last beyond the day of Christ's return it's the only investment uh, that we can make that yields eternal results and rewards souls saved from darkness into God's kingdom just like we have been if we are Christians giving to gospel ministry is big project work but of course it's not the only way uh, partnership is seen among us here it shows in a huge variety of ways from welcoming at the door to serving on sound music morning tea kids church practical care and support informally in informal settings and ways through the week praying for one another and a whole host of other things. All are equally important, no matter how insignificant they seem, because all are examples of gospel partnership. God is at work in us. It's my prayer that, that He'll bring His work to completion in us, that our love will abound more and more. Grounded in the gospel, worked out in wisdom that will be filled with the fruit of righteousness and ready for Christ's return. But there's something we need to be aware of before we act in response to Paul's prayer, or mine. It's to do with our motivation. It's to do with our hearts and our wills. You know, for a long time I've been puzzled while Paul tells his readers what it is he prays for them. I mean, is he, is he trying to uh, directly motivate them to act? to fast-track his prayer with some subtle pressure so that they do the very thing he's asking for God to do in them? Ever wondered that? Well, it can't be, obviously. That would fly in the face of everything he says elsewhere and the rest of the New Testament, for that matter. But just recently, I heard someone give another possible reason, and I think he's right. Paul tells them what he prays for them for the same reason He tells them everything else what he says and the way he says it pouring out his mind and heart with conviction and passion it shows them and us what matters most what really matters above all else it's what the whole bible does actually it gives us a new perspective It gives us the true perspective of reality. It shapes our hearts and renews our minds so that we who are Christians, citizens of heaven, will live our earthly lives more and more with an eternal perspective. Secure in Christ, of course, and in the love of our Heavenly Father, serving him gladly as partners in his great project, seeking first his kingdom And righteousness, as we heard last week. Because his kingdom, God's kingdom, is the highest priority of all. It really is. And I think as we come to see that more and more, uh, and to want that more and more, as we read his word, as we live in the gospel, we may find that our priorities are, are redirected and reordered. Maybe our interest in our little projects uh, fading and w- uh, waning, eclipsed, eclipsed by God's great, glorious project, eclipsed by the glory of Christ our King. You know, we 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 all pour so much time, and effort, and money uh, into things that will count for nothing on the day of Christ. You know. In the light of eternity, most of our projects, most of what we do, have little more significance than a wind-powered rock tumbler. Really. So maybe, maybe we can gladly leave more of our projects unfinished to the glory and praise of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, your word is uh, is powerful, Uh, it is challenging, it is encouraging, it is stirring. We thank you for it. Uh, We thank you for your words through uh, the Apostle Paul, um, written so long ago and yet uh, powerful for us today. We pray that you would cause us to dwell on these truths. Father, renew our minds. Help us grasp more and more uh, a true perspective of reality the things that are unseen and not just live in the light of what we see and touch and taste and feel and smell. Help us to live in light of your word, in light of your great work, your project work in this world and uh, we pray that you would uh, change us. We pray that we would live as citizens of heaven, even while we do live here at Victor Harbour and the south coast. May we be shaped increasingly by what your word. And submit ourselves to you as, as your servants, uh, working as partners in your great project for your glory. Amen.